0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Levi. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Grace. And uh, I've had some people say, well, where's Rick? He's out for the second week. Is something wrong? No, nothing's wrong. He needed a vacation, right? I mean, if you had seven kids still living under your roof, wouldn't you need a vacation, you know? I mean, let's pray for the guy. I mean, if for no other reason, just that, how, how do you manage seven kids? No, but I, uh, we checked in uh, together yesterday and he's really enjoying the time off. And it was originally just going to take one week. And basically, uh, Kathy, uh, his assistant and I said, you need to get out of here for two weeks, man. You've had quite a run with a transition and all kinds of crazy stuff. So just disappear. We'll hold the fort down. And, uh, so far we haven't bombed it too bad. All right. It's uh, we're hanging in there, but, um, I'm excited. We are going to spend several weeks together in uh, a psalm that is familiar, not just to those of us who have grown up into the church, but uh, even those of us that would say, hey, I'm not particularly religious. I'm here this morning because uh, my spouse or my mom or my dad or my grandma basically drugged me here, right? Like, let's just recognize that happens sometimes. And uh, and so this is one of those psalms that's kind of crossed over into pop culture that you have probably heard before if you watch TV or any movies and there's a, a funeral, Scene. You hear this one, right? It's Psalm 23. And so I want us this morning uh, to read this together. And some of you may have memorized it in other versions. So I put it on the screen so that we can, we can all say this together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. You know, sometimes with passages like this, uh, they run the risk of being hijacked, right? Like they, we do certain things with them and they they don't pack the punch that maybe they could if we really paid attention to the words. This particular passage, uh, I think one of three things can happen. And the first is this. The first is that we consider this uh, a kid's passage. We say, oh, isn't it cute? There's shepherds and there's sheep and we have a little cartoon and we ask them to color it in, and then we put the scripture beside it, and then we hang it on the refrigerator, right? And so it's it's kind of a kid's passage. It's like, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? The second thing we can do is this. We consider it like a wall hanging passage. Uh, this is this is one of those moneymaker passages that you go to the Christian bookstore and somebody has done a nice illustration and they frame it up nicely and uh, you put it on the wall. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's great to have scripture on your wall. The only problem is that if we just hang it there and it doesn't inform our lives, well, you might as well just have a, a picture of a bistro, right? Uh, it can just become one of those, those, I don't know, wall hanging scriptures. And the last thing that we can do with it is consider it a death passage, right? I mean, like I said, if you've watched any TV and there's a funeral scene, this is the go-to. I mean, this is it. There's always uh, uh, kind of a pastor person in a robe and they're they're reading the 23rd psalm and so if we aren't careful we begin to buy into this being a death passage when truthfully this is a, a passage about being alive it's a it's a poem about being truly alive to to surrendering to something greater than ourselves and so what I want to do over the next four weeks along with you is to reclaim this piece of scripture I, I want us to be able to sit through funerals in the future and say hey while it's certainly appropriate to read this here there were of comfort, let's recognize that beyond that, these are words that inform how we become truly alive. This is an invitation to life, all right? Now, we're dealing with some content that that most of us are not fully comfortable with, right? Uh, Show of hands, how many of you have ever owned sheep? Show of hands. All right, we got one. That makes two. That makes a total in the three services of nine people who have ever owned sheep at Grace. Nine people. And most of them just kind of roll their eyes like not a good experience, right? Not a good experience. But let me tell you this. You don't have to be a farmer. You don't have to be a shepherd to get this. Uh, Two years ago when my family and I, we hit the reset button on life and we moved from Dallas, Texas to Newberry, Florida, we had the brilliant idea that we were going to live on some land, right? Oh, it'll be awesome, they said. You just have peace and quiet out there. It's going to be wonderful, yeah, it's pretty quiet. Like deathly, it's just crazy quiet. All you hear are like horses and chickens and cows, and you don't have real internet. It's like internet that you get on your phone, only you get it in your house, and then it's all gone, and then you don't have anymore. It's it was it was my in-laws are here and we were staying on their land, but it was awful. It was awful. Like we're people, people, like we're not cow and horse and chicken people. And it didn't take us long to realize that, right? Like give us some cul-de-sacs, give us basketball goals, give us piles of bicycles, you know, like people who come and get your trash so you don't have to take it to the dump yourself, you know. Give me unlimited high speed internet. Give me Cox Cable, no matter how much you hate them. The alternative is worse, right? But we don't have to be a shepherd. We don't have to live on the land to find our placement in this passage. We don't. David, who wrote this psalm right right off the front, says, The Lord is my shepherd. And if the Lord is the shepherd, who are we? We're the sheep. And David, who eventually became king of Israel, in his wisdom, came to realize we we are a lot like sheep. Here's some characteristics of sheep. All right. The first is that sheep have a mob mentality. They're all like hanging out together. And then Bill, the sheep, sees a rabbit jump out from behind the bush. And you know what Bill does? Bill starts running because that's all sheep can do. They cannot fight. They just run. There's no fight or flight. It's just flight. And so what do 200 of Bill's closest sheep friends do? They take off running. Why are we running? I don't know. Bill's running. Bill's running. Run for your life, right? They have a mob mentality. The second is this. They're they're skittish and they're they're fearful. I mean, they're just like they're always like something's out to get me, right? Because everything's their predator. They they, they have no defenses. The third is this: they're stubborn. Oh my goodness, sheep are sheep are stubborn. Um, just enough said. I don't even have to elaborate on that. The fourth: they jockey for position. So within each herd of sheep there is this hierarchy, right? With chickens it's it's a pecking order, uh in a pack of dogs you have your top dog, your alpha dog. And it's the same thing with sheep. And it's usually uh a well strongly built female sheep that like that runs things, right? Sounds about right. I mean, <laughs> right? And so she she like like physically like if Another sheep is in her space. She just rams them, right? Just like, hey, get out of here. Like, okay, got it. I'm out of here. This is your space. This is your space. But they're, they're constantly jockeying for position, right? And then the last one is this. They make foolish decisions. I mean, there's just like no rationale sometimes. I mean, just none. And I mean, as we look at that list, and, and we were to say, are there any similarities? Because we're only talking about sheep. That's only about sheep. We're not talking about people yet right? Holy moly, man. Boy, we have a tendency to have the mob mentality. We can be skittish and fearful. We can be stubborn, constantly jockeying for position. Uh, Maybe it's just me, but man, made some foolish decisions. And, And the reality is this. If you have hung out with sheep, even just a little bit, you know that sheep need a shepherd. I, w- I was speaking with Krista in our office a couple weeks ago as I was kind of talking about where we were going with this passage. And she said, you know, when I spent that summer in, in Africa, it was the first time that I'd ever really been around sheep. And she's like, they're so like stupid. She felt bad for them because like people like picked on them all the time. But she said, really, sheep were the only animals that, that required constant supervision." There'd be goats, and the goats are just kind of walking around, eating anything they can get their mouth on. You had some cattle, and they're, they're just kind of walking around, and there's nobody with them. But every time that she saw sheep, there had to be somebody there. Because without it, they're just kind of like wandering off, right? I mean, they're just, Bill, he saw the rabbit. He, he's just wandering off. They're wandering off in all kinds of different directions. Sheep require a shepherd. And so David declares, the Lord is my shepherd, And when he wrote this, he would have understood the Lord to be Yahweh, God the Father, the the one who had separated Israel from all other people groups and had been leading them. Well, in the time that has passed since this was originally written, well, God has revealed more of himself to us. He has sent Jesus. And so God with, with flesh and bones who, who came and dwelt among us and, and showed us how to live. He came, and then before he ascended back to the Father, he told his closest followers. He said, hey, I'm not going to leave you alone. I am sending you God's very Spirit. And they're like, well, how, how are we going to know? And he's like, oh, you'll know him when you see him, right? And then Acts 2 happens. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got it. The Holy Spirit here. And so as we read this, we understand that we, we have come to know more of God since this was written. And so the Lord is my shepherd and God, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit is the one who is leading and guiding me. But I want us to understand this. The, the first line of this Hebrew poem, it's, it's not a given. It's never forced upon us that the Lord is our shepherd. And that's the interesting thing about being a part of his flock. And it's where some of the analogy breaks down because like a a sheep sheep, they're just whoever is their shepherd is their shepherd, right? And just good luck, bad luck, whatever. But for us, we have a choice. God never just like snatches us and forces us into his pen. That's not how it works. We have a choice as to whether or not the Lord is going to be our shepherd, the one that leads and guides us. Jesus, about a thousand years after David wrote these words, he says this. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd, but he's only our good shepherd if we choose to let him lead us. Now, many of us in this room, we have chosen to be led, to be cared for, to be disciplined, to be comforted by this good shepherd. And many of us, I would say all of us, don't regret that decision. But in a room this size, there are certainly folks who are distrusting of God for a variety of reasons. Maybe something happened back here, and you expected that if God was real, and if he was good, and if he was loving, that he would have acted this way. And he didn't, so me and God, we're on the outs, right? That happens sometimes. And we we choose what we do with that. The other is this, there there are a lot of folks who are distrusting of God, and and I've met a lot of these folks. Um, I play a sport that a lot of you have never heard, it's called disc golf, we have like these specialized Frisbees, and we throw them through the woods and through parks, and we try to land them in this metal contraption, right? And so I have a lot of friends uh, outside the church that I've gotten to know, and usually something like this happens um, on about hole 15. So Levi, what do you do? And then I have this like moment, like my cover's about to be blown. Like up to this point, they don't know that I'm a pastor, that I'm clergy. I'm so tempted every time to be like, "Uh, I'm kind of like this motivational speaker, you know, like, like it's not a total lie, but I've just kind of succumbed to the fact I say, I'm a pastor. And then they usually go, Oh, beep, <laughs> right? Like And yeah, I can't say what they say. That's what the beep was for. But, and then they, per, they, per, they say, oh, I'm so sorry. I said this and I said this and I said that, right? And as I, once we get beyond that and they realize that that you're not offending me, as we begin to play more rounds together, they eventually, a lot of times, will begin asking questions of me and then giving me a bit of their faith story. And one of the things that I've heard over and over and over is, you know what? I gave up on the church a while back. And the funny thing was, I never really gave up on Jesus. I never had a problem with Jesus. I had a problem with the people who said that they followed him, his sheep. You know, and it's like in those moments, I've looked at them and I've had to say, hey, um, yeah, I get it. I'm sorry. Like, I'm one of the followers, and in our context today, I'm one of the sheep. And I've messed up. I've been a judgmental sheep. I've been a standoffish sheep. I've been a hypocritical sheep. And and the conversation usually goes something like this. I'm like, if you can get beyond the idiocy of his sheep, right, and focus on the shepherd, you're a lot better off. If you can look and see if this Jesus is somebody worth following instead of focusing on all the people who aren't living up to his standard, you're, you're going to be better off. Now, am I letting us off the hook? Am I saying it doesn't matter how we live? No, it absolutely matters how we live. The, the way that we live our life, it matters a great deal. But we have got to focus on the Shepherd because in all reality we are all going to choose a shepherd and and some of us we we would say the lord is my shepherd but in all reality if someone were to kind of do an inventory of our life it would look a lot more like our career has been our shepherd our work because it it reveals how we allocate our time our talent our resources and so sometimes we can say, Hey, the Lord is my shepherd, but it's, it's more just words than it is what is actually leading and guiding the way that I live my life. And so for some of us, it's careers that are our shepherd for some of us. Uh, it is this pursuit of stuff. And, uh, I grew up, we weren't like destitute, poor, but we didn't have a lot of money. There weren't a lot of extras. We didn't eat out uh, very much. And I was aware of this. I was aware of this because I wore uh, clothes from the kids at church that were handed down to us. And then they would make sure to point out every time that I was at church and I was wearing like one of their old items. Right. And so even as a kid, like you kind of know, like, okay, we don't have as much money. As everyone else, and so I remember early in my adulthood and even in our marriage that uh, I never would have said it out loud, but there was this idea that the pursuit of stuff like if I could just have nice things uh, for the first time that that maybe I would be happy, you know? And so I would do kind of whatever it took um, to get something nice. I remember one time I, I sold a pair of jeans on eBay and then I took the money that I made from the jeans and I bought something else. And then I bought something else, bought something else, bought something else. And I bought this giant TV, right? I basically turned a pair of jeans into a big screen TV. And in the end it was just a TV. Like I thought, man, I have arrived. And it was before the HD ones. I mean, it, it was like the square one, right? And it was not, yeah, whatever. It, just was, a, it was just a bigger TV. That's, at the end, that's all it was. It did nothing to fulfill this pursuit of stuff. And so some of us, as we're choosing a shepherd, we choose careers, we choose the pursuit of stuff. And I think those are easy ones to pick on. But I wonder if some of us, if we were honest, if some of us are allowing, say, fear to shepherd us, that, that we are afraid of the unknown, we are afraid of the way that someone will react, or, or we are afraid of the, the consequences of if I did, and we allow fear to begin leading and guiding us, dictating the way that we distribute our time, our talent, and our resources. And so I wonder, if we're really honest, if some of us are saying, man, I claim the Lord is my shepherd, but this like little pseudo shepherd, this little fake false shepherd has come in fear and is really ruling the way that I live my life. Or maybe it's it's a past failure. Maybe there was a big mistake. And it's not like maybe there was a mistake. Maybe you totally messed up. You totally messed up. And there's big, big consequences for it. And you're still living back here, and this this thing that happened back here is dictating the way that you live your life. And you would never want to say out loud that this thing is shepherding you, but more than anything else, in all reality, it is because it's informing your day to day. And so there's there's a million other things that could be our shepherd, but sheep need a shepherd. And we all end up pursuing something that informs the values by which we live, the way we spend our time, the way that we engage relationally and spend our time, our talent and our resources. And if we're going to be totally honest, we're going to be totally honest this morning. Some of us are convinced that we are our own best shepherd, right? We may not say that out loud, but but we have come to the conclusion that we can decide for ourselves what is best for me, what is best for my life, how how I live my life. And here's the truth: anybody that I've ever met that has chosen one of these different things as the factor, the thing that is leading and guiding them, they always seem to want us to believe that their life is better than it is. That there's this facade up that says everything is okay. But once you just take a peek behind that facade of everything is great, nothing to see here, you realize that very, very rarely is it ever as good as they would have you believe. Or if we're being totally honest, it's never as good as I would have you believe. So we all need a shepherd. And once we have a shepherd, We have to find our contentment there. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's a guy named Philip Keller. Philip, uh, he wrote a book uh, called A Shepherd's Guide to the 23rd Psalm. And so, uh, as it's, he was kind of explaining uh, this passage. He said, in the King James, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He said, actually, the word want, as used here, has a broader meaning than we first imagine. No doubt the main concept is that of not lacking, not being deficient in proper care or management. But a second emphasis is on the idea of being utterly contented in the good shepherd's care and consequently not craving or desiring anything more. And so I don't know if it's because I'm a simple man. I don't know if it's because I grew up in the church. My dad is a pastor and I came to hear of Jesus early and often, right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, camp meeting, revivals, dinner on the grounds. Can I get an amen? Uh-huh, some of you, same thing. Somebody need to be led in the church and Levi over with the key, right? I mean, it was just constant. So for me, I came to know early my need of Jesus, the good shepherd. And so that's not hard for me. That, that's not a hard thing for me to say, I need someone to lead and guide me because without that, I make a mess of my life so quickly. Levi left to himself, not good. Not good even a little bit, right? Why do you think that's so funny? <laughs> but, but that's the reality. But this is where it gets tough. This is where it gets tough. I shall not want. I shall find, I will be content to find my identity, my satisfaction, the totality of who I am in you. And I'll be okay with that. That for me is where the rubber meets the road. It's easy for me to say the Lord is my shepherd. It's hard for me to be content when I think my shepherd is making mistakes, right? Well, you can't say that. Well, I just said it. There are times that we think, like, what in the world is God doing? These last two years of my life are are kind of an, an example of that. Some of you only know me. You're like, yeah, weren't you like the children's guy? Didn't you hang out with the elementary? Yeah, I did for 18 months. I think it was God's big joke on Levi, right? Like uh, you're going to hang out with them because what some of you don't know is that for the seven years that preceded that, I was the lead pastor of an innovative church in Dallas, Texas, right? I wasn't the children's pastor. I wasn't the youth pastor. I was like the Rick of that church, right? I preached. I did funerals. I did weddings. I walked with families through difficult things. I was with them at the hospital when they they had their their children and when they had surgery and then all of a sudden I find myself with kids right and we're doing prayer requests and all of a sudden I'm praying for spelling tests and book reports and and dead gerbils and and all kinds of like craziness that I'm just sitting there like this is crazy dead gerbil. How do you pray for a dead gerbil? It's already dead. Go to PetSmart, kid. Like, I don't know what to tell you, right? I never said that out loud, but I certainly had these thoughts, right? (laughs) But, so the the first two months were pretty cool. I I had a job. I was getting a paycheck, right? I mean, up to that point, we were just living the dream on the big bank check that my wife gets for teaching the Alachua County School System. (laughs) I mean, we were rolling deep, making it rain, right? I mean, it was, it was <laughs> life couldn't be better. Wrong, I mean, it was, it was crazy. Truthfully, I was unemployed for nine months. I was going to auctions and trying to resell any kind of furniture, anything that I could sell on eBay and didn't feel like I was contributing. So I, I felt like a loser in my own house, nine months not contributing, not putting literally any food on the table. And so, for the first couple months of doing children's ministry, I was like, this is great. I have a job. I have a job. And then, like, some doubt began to creep in, right? It's like, you thought children's ministry was going to be this thing, but look at what you're doing. Like, you know every aisle in the Dollar Tree. You know every item that they have in the Dollar Tree. You know that when, when you can't find it at the Dollar Tree, that you need to go to Hobby Lobby. And then, when you go into Hobby Lobby, you're going to realize you're the only dude in Hobby Lobby, because you're the only dude in this town doing children's ministry, Right? And oh, by the way, you're going to go to a children's ministry conference and you're going to be the only dude sitting there. And oh, by the way, you used to be a lead pastor and now you're a children's pastor. (laughs) What do you think your friends think? These are all things that are going through my head. I can only imagine people who were my peers going, dude is a moron. Look at him. Just a moron. He was a lead pastor. Now he's a children's pastor. And it was hard. There were times, if I'm being honest with you, that that I shall not want, meaning that I will be content in the shepherd's care. Hmm. It didn't feel so content, right? And I remember the day that, that Pastor Rick called me into his office and he goes, Hey, I've, I've got some interesting news I want to talk to you about. And he said, um, we just got news that the conference is going to be moving Pastor Rachel. And he goes instead of getting another conference appointed pastor, um, we're, we're thinking something a little bit different. We think that pastor is already on our staff and I'm sitting there literally in my head, I'm going, please say what I think you're gonna say. Please say what I think you're gonna say. Please, 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 <laughs> please say what I think you're gonna say. He's like, and he's like, man, if you're like, if you want, like we can probably find a way to like keep you in, in children's ministry and do some of this. And I was like, ah, I don't wanna confuse anything. You know, I don't want anybody to be confused. How about we just slide me right on out of children's ministry and into this other role. He's like, well, if you're okay with that, I'm like confetti falling from the sky. I mean, like PA system. I'm like, I'm okay with it. But here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing. Before that happened, I had come to peace in working with the kids. See, I thought I was brought here to like make um, the, the children's thing a, a little more engaging, a little more fun to, to create a new environment. And we did some of those things. And so when I first got here, I thought I was here for the kids, But what I realized in the year and a half that I spent with those kids, I'm not sure that I was here for those kids. I think those kids were here for me to bring the joy back into ministry, to go home and tell my wife the crazy stuff that came up in the children's and questions that I could never imagine. Some of them deep, some of them so off the wall, I was wondering if the kid like forgot their meds that day, right? (laughs) But the peace came. And it didn't matter anymore. Like, what do your friends think? Uh, what, what about this crazy career path? But this is the day-to-day of saying, I will be content in any and every situation. He is my shepherd, and I trust him more than I trust myself. And I'm telling you this because this, this phrase, I, I lack nothing or I shall not want, this speaks to contentment. This was the hard part for me. Saying that the Lord is my shepherd and recognizing my need for that, that that was easier for me than most people. But being content and allowing him to lead and to guide, that has been the struggle. This is the ongoing day to day. Being content when we feel overlooked, when we feel passed over, not recognized, taken for granted, this is the hard work of being a sheep. And so this week, what, what I want to do is I want to send you out with a couple of questions that I want you to reflect on. And they're going to be on the screen. There's pens in the, the seat backs in front of you and right on your arm or right on your, your bulletin, somewhere that uh, you'll remember. it. But this is the first question. Who or what is shepherding me? And how is that working? Not, not like the Sunday school answer, like Jesus, right? I mean, like, like beyond that, like... Okay, like the Lord is my shepherd, but is is there anything that's kind of snuck in there that's trying to like co-shepherd with him that doesn't belong? And what do I need to do with that? Okay. So so what is who or what is shepherding me and how is that working? That that's actually one question, it looks like two. And this is the, the second one. Am I content to find my identity, my satisfaction? the totality of my being in the places and things that shepherd is leading me towards. And some of you are like, Oh, this is easy. I don't have to think about that. I I ask that you would ask that the Lord would open up your heart, your soul, your mind and reveal to you that maybe something is shepherding and it's leading you into these places that maybe you've become too comfortable being led. And, And so those are, I, I say it's kind of like throw those questions in the, the crock pot of your mind and just let them like slowly simmer this week. And those are the questions. Well, pastor, aren't you going to like guilt us into coming forward and, and saying, I want the Lord to be my shepherd? H- here's what I think. I think if the Lord is doing that work in your heart, you can pray right where you're at. You can say, hey, I surrender. I've made a mess of trying to shepherd my own life. All of these other things that, that I have done, God, I surrender. I think you can do it right there. But I also think that a lot of times this is a part of a process. And so what I would say to you is, if you don't get it, like I have some real issues with God, what I would say is just keep coming back. Keep hanging out with us sheep. We're gonna make mistakes. Don't focus on us. Focus on the shepherd. And see if his ways, his teaching, his life of self-giving love is something that you think would be an upgrade from you shepherding yourself. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. God, forgive us if we have taken this, this Hebrew poem and we've just taught it to the kids or hung it on our wall or just used it as a, a stock funeral uh, passage, God, but help us to understand that this is about life. Help us to understand that um, we have a choice as to whether or not we are going to be a sheep in your flock God, for those who have made that decision, I pray that as they begin to reflect on these questions this week, that you would make clear that that all is good or that you would make clear that maybe something has slipped in. God, for those that are on the fence and are trying to figure out if this whole God thing is all for them, God, I pray that you would just reveal yourself, that you would soften hearts that have been hard uh, and not open to you leading or guiding in any way, And God, I pray that we as your church would trust your Holy Spirit, trust that you are still in the business of speaking, trust that you're still in the business of comforting and leading and disciplining us. Father, I pray that we would have the eyes to see and the ears to hear where you want to work in each and every one of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this moment, we're